have one more little commercial here for you, and then we'll uh, talk about sin. Ooh, sin. That's my heart talking to you. Does it ever say anything else? If you want to keep your heart healthy, keep your cholesterol down. Cheerios, made from all natural whole green oats, is the only leading cold cereal clinically proven to lower cholesterol. I think corp, corp. That's my stomach. Sometimes too. <laughs> all right.
I can't get away from it. This world is a messed up place. I'm not a part of it. It's everywhere. And it's more than just doing a single act of doing something wrong. We talk about the Greek word for sin, harmakia, and it includes missing the mark. This is the frustrating thing. Even when you're shooting for it, even when you're trying to do good, when we don't get there, sometimes that can be sin. Okay? Because the Greek word for sin is for the athlete who's trying to hit the bullseye and he misses. And so there's this frustrating thing about sin. All of us are caught in this frustration. Okay? This is this the root and the result of sin. Turn to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. You just mark your place there. I'm going to talk generally about some things in these three chapters. And you can go back later on and read through these chapters. I'm going to pull some things out. Where does sin come from? And why do we live in a world that's jacked up? And why did, why did all this happen? Uh... The first three chapters of Genesis addresses it in some way. What's interesting is the Bible doesn't really come back to these first chapters very often, but they set the tone for everything else. And so when God creates everything initially in chapter 1, if you read through chapter 1, you hear this refrain over and over and over. It is good. 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 Okay? You hear that over and over. God creates this world, and I think sometimes we think the world, if we just escape the world, the world is a problem, like the creation, not, not the world system, but the creation. But the truth is that God's creation is good. He made it that way. And this pinnacle of the creation, uh, verse 26, chapter 1, he says this, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. God blessed them. And said, so be fruitful and increase what he wants them. He loves this idea of humanity. Just go and repopulate everything. Fill the earth with his good. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. God gives them all of the creation, basically, for their food and for their welfare. It jumps ahead and it says in verse 31, God saw all that he made, and it was, this time it's not just good, but he was oath made oath, which is waste. It's great. It's very, very good. I liked it. And that was the end of the sixth day. And next day, the day rest in that story. Right? That's the way the Bible starts talking about humanity. Everything's good and great, and humanity's put here in God's church, and it's great. But the problem is, is when we look around, I go, well, Really? Is it that great? I mean, when a mom who loves her son, even if does something that gets him addicted to drugs, right? Even when she may not try to be a bad mom, she's being the only mom she knows how to be, it ends up in something going wrong. Right? And I tell you, I want to be a good husband, I want to be a good, good dad, and sometimes even when I'm trying to get it right, I get it wrong. It's just this frustrating thing, and then this goodness of chapter one, I, I sense it, like it's there, but so many times it's like not there. Even in me. Um, so we're saying we're creating God's image in chapter one. And then the story goes on. Chapter two, there's a little bit of a different take on the story. It says that God created his garden and he puts a man, a man there who he makes out of clay and breathes his life into this man. And in this story, he says, it's not good. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. So for the first time ever in creation story, in story of the Bible, God is saying something's not good. And in that story, 
It's the fact that man is, is alone. So God makes him uh, somebody to be with him. He makes his wife to be with him. And then they're together. And then in chapter 3, the story takes this turn. They've been put in the garden and God has told them, don't eat the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Eat of everything else, but don't eat of this tree. And then chapter 3 says, And the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the big tree in the garden? And this conversation takes place. And the woman says, No, he said, We can't eat from this tree. And we can't even touch it. Lest we die. And then Hebrew is dying and we will die. And the serpent says, That's not true. What God's really afraid of is that he knows that when you eat of this tree, that you get knowledge, and you'll have the same kind of knowledge that God has, and then you'll be like God. And what should the woman have said to him right then and there? We're already like God, so that's not what happens. The Bible says that she looks at the tree, and it's good for food, and it looks good to get knowledge and wisdom, and she takes it for it, she eats it, and disobedience enters into the world. But here's the thing I want to point out. Before disobedience came in, things were jacked up a little bit. Right? There, were, there was already a problem. There was already a serpent. There was already something in them that did not feel complete. So I want to point out a couple of things to you here. We were created in God's image. That's our identity. God gives us His own image and His own name as our identity. The other side of it is that we are a spirit. All we are a spirit is used clay. You know? Clay. Malleable, dry, brittle, do all kinds of things. We're just clay. And that is, so on one hand we're like God, on the other hand we're weak. Right? There's a tension that's inherent in us that's there even before disobedience. So he gives us identity, but he also gives us a God-given incompleteness. It's there, even in paradise. Okay? I think here's what happens. That incompleteness in Adam and Eve comes to discontent. He's discontent. Why did God, by the way, make us incomplete? Anybody can answer as well as teacher next. Why did God make us incomplete? Huh? We need him. We need him. We need him and we need each other. If I was made complete, I would not need my wife, and I wouldn't need my little daughter running over and grabbing me and hugging me. Right? I don't that. I'm complete in and of myself. And we certainly wouldn't need him. God makes an empty stomach to fill. And I'm glad he is, I like to eat. Actually, the truth is, I enjoy eating now what I have, probably. Now that I've lost a little weight, you want to control my Listen. God makes us with these natural hungers that we're supposed to hunger, I think, good things, and the ultimate thing is when we hunger for Him. Right? We learn to be like Him from Him in a relationship. But we're not okay with that. Even in paradise, we weren't okay with that. And it leads to this discontent, and it leads to an insatiable hunger in us. We know these hungers. Hunger first. Right? You don't want to go to meetings that don't. Pat Rogers, do you love to go to meetings that accomplish nothing? Pat? No. Pat would be like, I see it now. Kathy Sewell would not like to go to the extra house and accomplish nothing. I would hate to give a talk and it accomplish nothing. We all want to accomplish something. We want purpose. And we'll take any kind of purpose we can get, whether it be fixing houses at an extra house or caring for a football team. As long as it's something, right? Purpose. Meaning. 
another way to talk. You want things to have meaning. Hunger for completeness, for identity. The problem is we put the wrong things first, and that becomes idolatry. Right? We worship food, we worship money, or success, or fame. What we worship other people, we get our identity from them more than we do from God. That's idolatry. And the Bible says that idolatry leads us to have wrong views of each other as well as God, and then start treating people like we're nothing. Amy and I watched personally on Big Wallflower last night. There's a kid in the movie that uh, has some issues, and a teacher uh, basically starts calling him nothing. And people in school start calling him nothing. Nothing could be more contrary to the gospel of Jesus. But I don't agree with those kinds of things. And once the Bible says we get into idolatry, it leads to a cycle of futility. Because the things that we're actually chasing after, they don't end up with anything. So Ecclesiastes, another one through three chapter. In your Bible, there's a book called Ecclesiastes. And it's after Psalms, it's after Job, it's after Proverbs. It's the most depressing book in the entire planet. And this book is supposed to be based on the story of Solomon, who was king of Israel, who God gave everything to. God made him king after David, and then he says to Solomon, ask him for anything, what do you want? And Solomon says, I want to have wisdom to govern your people. And God goes, okay, you get all of us, and you get all of us. The thing is, as wise as he was, Solomon turns his back on God. And he did not follow God, and he, he actually slayed his own people, actually, instead of bringing freedom. And Ecclesiastes is supposed to be about kind of the life of Solomon. If you read the whole thing, please read something in the Gospels later because it's really depressing. Okay? And this is the way it goes. You ready? Are you okay emotionally? Because if you're not, you might not want to hear this part. Because it's just, here we go. The words of the preacher of the Son of David, King of Jerusalem. Here's the word in Scripture to you today. Ready? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Was a man thinking of all his work which he boils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. The snow comes and disappears. It comes back and disappears. It comes back. Here's the All the streams flow into the sea, but the sea never gets full. The place streams come from the other returning, and all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough to see, nor the ear is filled with hearing. What has been will be again, what's been done will be done again. There's nothing new on the sun. And it just kind of goes on this way for three chapters. I mean, and if you don't know what he says, is, I've done everything in the English, and I tried everything to find some meaning. I tried pursuing wisdom, and that didn't work. I tried pursuing women, and that didn't work. I tried pursuing music, and well, I built a paradise, gardens for myself, and none of that worked. God has put it, he says, God has put it in my heart, but I can't understand anything that God does. And I work for something, and I die, somebody else will get it. Hello, David Listen, here's this thing that happens. The root of sin is just discontent. We pursue it in the wrong ways. And we pursue our identity and we pursue our meaning in the wrong ways. And it ends in this pursuit and it leaves us numb. It leaves us numb. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. So I tell you this, and sit on the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles live. 
and the futility of their thinking. The way they think about things is futile. And we've all been there. He says in the previous chapters, we've all been there. They are guarding their understanding, separating from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, that clay hardened. They're separating life. And have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. Right? You get this? They're chasing after things. They've lost and separated the mind of God. And just to feel alive again, they're trying everything they can to make their senses feel good. Just like that thing in Ecclesiastes. The eye never has enough seeing. The ear never has enough hearing. We can say the body never has enough feeling. They just want to make themselves alive again. But in this futile pursuit, all it does is make everything numb and dead. And so they're full of greed because all they want is more and more and more. In the end, it leaves us dead. And it leaves us separated from each other and God and life, the things that make life, life. And it leaves us enslaved. Jesus says, Do it of sin, become a slave to sin. And I show you these commercials because Madison Avenue, marketing companies, they know all of this. They know the, they know the bad side of the gospel better than we do. And they know they can make lots of money selling a false gospel. Okay? Now, I don't think they do it. Some of them do it. No, it's not like they're just talking the same cycle like we are, right? So the first commercial we have, you guys, when you walk in, what commercial did we see? Well, there was a Joe Montana commercial. Well, you know what they were advertising? Tide. Huh? Tide. Sand remover. Did that commercial have anything to do with the sand Not really. Right? What are they trying to sell in that commercial? Well, they're using humor, they're using debit, but they're using that's kind of a funny commercial. The Paul Harvey commercial is even better. I mean, it really is. What are they selling in that commercial? No, they're not. Right? They're not selling a drop. I saw that commercial. You know what I want to be? <laughs> There's me in that. I want to go out and dig in the garden, you know, and be like my grandpa, or I live in the city. You know, I'm a grand right? They're not selling the truck, they're selling me. You watch it anyway. I was going to show some others that were more disturbing because there was one that was shown by G that was meant to honor the soldiers, but what's driving me crazy is they're not really, the real motivation is not honoring soldiers. It's selling a Jeep. You know, we've got to see, we got an empty seat here for you. Can't wait to get it back. You know, like, I want to be a part of that. Restoration of people coming home. But they're selling a Jeep, right? The Cheerios commercial, what are they selling? Not Cheerios. You can take heart help, but as a dad, let me tell you that's what they're selling. But they're selling you better be a good dad by Cheerios. Right? They know that emptiness they're trying to fight upon, and they know that you feel the things by chasing those things, we end up just as empty. There's a commercial that I just also going to show that has too much making out going on. Um, one was Taco Bell. They showed this merchant with senior citizens, which is for some of us a bit, sir. It was senior citizens, and it shows them eat Taco Bell when they're partying like they're teenagers. Like, how come you're going to eat Taco Bell that's going to make you more young and healthy? No! There was one for a prom where this kid didn't have a date, he's going by himself, and his little sister's making fun of him, and he says, here's the Jesus car, son. And it's an Audi, and he gets him out, and the whole evening turns out perfect because he's in the Audi. 
right? The thing is, some people, I know, we actually believe these things because we buy things based upon these things. We are in trouble. Prison isn't just for people who sell drugs. We can live in our own prisons. Where we are powerless, we can we are enslaved by this pursuit of all these things. We are not pursuing God or Jesus or the things of Jesus. We're pursuing our own stomachs and our own flesh and our own self and our own preservation and our own security. And God says, I'm going to be free of things that you're going to let go of all those things that you're going to be free. So it's not just sin that keeps us out of way, it's good things sometimes. We have to let it go so we can be free. I'll ask this question last week. It's going to be a regular question. What enslaves you? What keeps you running that thing that gives you to get out of it? How are you only attempting to feel filled your own God-given incompleteness? And how do you misplace your identity? You know? Are you a banker first, or a mom, or a wife, or are you in the image of God? Which should define all those other things. You understand that? If you're trying to do anything else, you're going to miss it. It's going to lead to you hurting somebody else and hurting yourself and hurting them. What is robbing you of life? What's keeping you from being alive? And it might not be obvious. That's why we need things like that. If we really look at ourselves and really ask the question, you know, what is it that's really keeping you from experiencing the kind of life God wants for you? Why is it when I watch commercials I feel this tug of incompleteness? That I, what does God need to fill in me so that I don't feel that incomplete? Listen, we can gather together every week and we can have a good time and be religious people. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for it's just like Ecclesiastes eventually. Or we can be people who are doing hands one and do that and we take all the stuff seriously. Take it all seriously. It means we make decisions about our time, our thinking, and everything that we do so that Jesus would set us free. Right? Right? Next week we're going to talk about facing our sins. If you could do this week, you thought about it. Next week will be more meaningful than you will, quite honestly. And what does it mean to face and admit our sins? So I'm going to say a prayer for us. I don't know what it means for you, by the way. You might even take this note sheet, start writing something again. This is these two things that God's telling you. So that you can wrestle with them later. Okay? Let's pray. Father, oh, thank you that you are the kind of God who provides luggage for children. Thank you that you are the kind of God that lets us be involved in that process. Because we want to set those children free from our identity and set yourself to trash. Because you look at them, everyone that is in your image, God, unless you treat them with that kind of respect and that kind of dignity. God, we want to be the kind of people that when people are coming out of prison and we're working to help set them free and live in liberty, just like you would do. But God, this stuff is not just outside of us, it's inside of us. We wrestle with our own issues of placing our identity in you. We have our own version of trash bags that diminish who we are. And then we try to live out of that, and it doesn't work. 
we get greedy and we get selfish and we fall into the lust and try to make ourselves something by things that aren't things at all. It ends up with just numbness and death. Now, all of us have been there and we've all wrestled with it to the early day we die and overcome the struggle against sin in our lives. We are not alone. It's not good for us to be alone. You are with us and we are with each other. We've made it possible. We want to be transformed. And we want to see all this transformed. We want to tell stories of transformation. So God can set us free from sin in our lives. Make us whole with the only kind of wholeness that can make our incompleteness disappear. And as you, our love for each other. In your name.